autistic people with quality of life and opportunity. You're listening to the Autism CRC podcast. This is the Autism at Work speaker series featuring pre-recorded audio captured during the live Autism at Work virtual summit event held in March 2023. Hear from over 40 local and international speakers, panelists and presenters, including neurodivergent employees and employers, as they discuss the important topics affecting autistic people at work. You can also watch this series on the Autism CRC YouTube channel. Welcome back, my friends. Here we are once again to our next session. In case you missed this morning's introduction session, my name is Orion Kelly, and uh, I'm here to host many of the sessions over the next couple of days. So it's great to see you in this particular session all about employers. Now, uh, this session will be moderated by Michael Fieldhouse, DXC's Technologies Social Impact Practice Leader and Director of Cybersecurity and the Executive of DXC's Dandelion Program. Now, before I hand over to Michael, just a quick uh, bit of information. You have the opportunity to submit questions, okay? So you can type in some questions by typing into the questions in the Q&A pane. It's, I encourage you to do that as they pop up because then we can get to them at the end of the, the session. So you can access that pane by clicking on the Q&A tab on the right-hand side of your screen. Other people's questions will appear in the Q&A pane as well once they've been approved by the moderators. If you like a question you, you see there and you're keen to hear that one get answered, you can upvote it by clicking on the arrow beside it. So I encourage you to access the Q&A pane and obviously we can get to as many questions as possible depending on how many come through. All right, well, that's enough for me. Let's hand over now to this next session and it's over to you, Michael Fieldhouse. Thank you, Ryan, and um, yeah, thank you for um, thank you for the introduction. Again, uh, welcome everyone. And it was a great session that, um, that um, and a great keynote from Tom. Um, we're on to our first of our employer panels, and um, this is these are quite exciting about listening to what um, organisations are doing in the area of um, autism at work and neurodiversity. And um, really excited by our panel that we've got today. So we've got um, we have um, Kirsty, Laura, and Vanessa coming through, and um, they're going to give us a little bit of a, an overview of their program, a little bit about what their what they get what their program's about, a bit about their organisation. Firstly, give them a little bit of introduction about themselves and their role in, in the initiative. And we're really, um, hopefully, by giving it a, an overview, we'll then take um, some questions at the end and um, hopefully we can answer all of them. Firstly, I'd like to kick off to, um, with um, Kirsty. So, um, welcome. And um, I'm waiting to, we, with excitement now. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for having uh, Sunport here today. My name is Kirsty Richards and I'm here representing the Autism and Agriculture Program at the Sunpork Group. So just as some background on Sunpork, Sunpork is the largest pork producer in Australia, representing around 20% of nat national pork production. We operate across regional farming locations in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia and into New Zealand. Autism and Agriculture started in 2016. At that time, it was a collaboration between Sunpork Autism CRC, Pork CRC and Specialist Earner. And the objective was to embrace the skills of autistic people uh, and to create career paths for them in agricultural animal care. The program is strengths-based and it focuses on the person, not the position. It recognises and addresses organisational barriers to recruitment, employment and independent living for autistic people. And it's heavily, heavily focused on building workplace capability by increasing awareness and understanding of autism and by upskilling our managers, our supervisors and their co-workers 
to best support autistic employees. Our first employees commenced in 2017 in both Queensland and South Australia. And now in 2023, we have eight autistic employees now into their seventh year of animal care employment. And that's across four of our farming locations. They're motivated, committed, capable individuals, and we feel very honored to have them on our team. We also now have two employees working remotely from home in decision support roles, working with farm production data. And we have a further eight employees who've used their employment at Sunport over the past seven years as a platform to progress careers elsewhere in agriculture, in further study, or in their comm commencement of apprenticeships. So as I mentioned, in developing the program, we've recognised some of the challenges for autistic people in employment, including that unemployment and underemployment rates are high and employment is difficult to retain. So autistic candidates are generally coming to prospective employees with workplace experience that isn't even remotely representative of their skill set, their capability or their potential to contribute to your workplace. Traditional recruitment processes, including resumes and interviews, present systematic barriers to entry for autistic people. And Tom referenced this earlier this morning. Workplace understanding and support for autism is generally low. Human resource processes and systems from induction to training, review and performance management are often poorly suited to autistic employees. And autistic employees are often at significant economic, social and individual disadvantage, which can negatively impact their ability to identify, seek and retain work opportunities. And let me be clear, these challenges are not at all a reflection on the autistic job seeker. What they are are challenges and catalysts for businesses to do better and to establish more equitable human resource systems. So I, I am at great risk of talking for hours. So, not, so as not to do that, I thought I'd just run through some of the core principles of the Autism and Agriculture Program and then offer a, a few key learnings from the employer's perspective. So the first principle of our program is equity. And in particular, understanding the difference between equality or sameness, where everyone is treated the same, and equity or fairness, where everyone's individual needs are recognised. So in taking an equitable approach with autism and agriculture, we're talking about the systems that we've needed to put into place, not only to support our autistic individuals, but to uh, support our neurotypical employees. So for our autistic employees, equitable has meant things like providing a non-confronting recruitment pathway with no interviews, taking the time needed to accommodate and identify sensory needs, providing clear direction on work tasks and having consideration to things like part-time working hours. And for our neurotypical staff, it's about providing awareness of autism, support for the workplace and opportunities to engage and to be involved. A second principle of autism in agriculture is that it's strength-based, it's person-focused and it's outcome-focused. We don't rely on resumes or interviews, we don't recruit with a specific role in mind. Our autistic trainees are supported to learn job skills from scratch and to show us what they can do rather than have to tell us what they can do or even be expected to know what they might like to do in a work context. This process allows individuals to try different tasks in our workplace and work out their areas of interest, their strengths and their points of challenge. It also allows us to identify what tasks they might be suited to, what their training and support needs are, and importantly, who within our team might best mentor and support them. It's 100% a focus on the person rather than the position and the outcome rather than the process. And that's a real shift in paradigm from traditional people management processes. 
A third principle, and this is a really important one, is that we recognise the critical importance of supporting and training our neurotypical workforce. Their engagement, commitment and ownership in supporting co-workers is essential and equipping them with the knowledge and skills that they need to support our autistic employees through awareness, through training and extension has been absolutely pivotal to the success of the program. In line with this principle, and Tom again mentioned this earlier, we recognise that the benefits of autism and agriculture extend well beyond the autistic employee to the broader workforce and the business. When you bring the whole team along, you build people skills, you build leadership capacity, you build business pride, you foster teamwork, employee satisfaction, engagement. And those benefits can extend beyond the, the workplace into the community as well, and certainly in our case it does. So with reference to the theme of this conference, um, or the summit, sorry, around building organisational capability, I thought there might be a little bit of value in briefly touching on some of our key learnings as a business and to share these with other employees, sorry, employers that are looking to engage autistic skills in their workplace and to the autistic job seekers out there watching today who are engaging with workplaces themselves. Well, firstly, Workplace autism and awareness, uh, awareness, sorry, and upskilling, it's absolutely critical. I'd go so far as to say it's the most critical driver of workplace capability to accommodate autistic employees. Your workplace needs to be a safe place for autistic employees to come to work as themselves and to know that they'll be accepted, valued for who they are, and to Tom's presentation earlier, that they'll be supported and not directed. You have to be prepared to step back from traditional human resource processes, many of which present barriers to uh, autistic employment. We need to stop the desired process driving the outcome and focus on the desired outcome informing the process. We need to take a people, sorry, um, it, just moving on from that one, some relatively simple accommodations can have transformative impacts. So the obvious one is not, um, not having resumes and interviews. But while ever we stay in that traditional recruitment and employment lane, we're missing opportunities to bring motivated, capable people into roles that they really want to fill, and we're missing the benefits that they can deliver to the workplace. It really does help to shift your mindset, set from positions, sorry, to people, and to providing an equitable pathway to employment. We need to take a people-centred approach, employ people versus roles, provide flexibility, support differences, work to strengths, and try not to penalise deficits. Not everyone automatically fits a role description. Not everyone is suited to a resume interview induction style process more typical of employment systems. And if we can't be flexible and equitable in our approach, we don't have an inclusive workplace and we don't have a workplace that is fully capable of utilising the human resources that are out there. Robust employee training and support systems in our experience are pivotal. While it's absolutely critical to your autistic employees, this learning is absolutely transferable to the workplace generally. Too often training and support systems and delivery aren't prioritised in workplaces and it's a truly false economy. If you invest time and rigour in your people, in their training and in their support, you'll see the benefits. The right person with the right skills, being trained and supported in the right way for them, will deliver consistent workplace outcomes. But if those people aren't even getting a foot in the door because systematic barriers are precluding them, well, there's a loss that extends not only to that potential employee, but to the whole workplace. If you're a smaller business out there watching today, don't ever think that you're too small to embrace neurodiversity in your workplace. I'd go so far as to say that smaller businesses have the benefit of being more agile when it comes to adapting human resource systems 
by comparison, we're trying to drive change in large corporate systems such as you're seeing here on the panel today. If you're a regional business such as we are, don't feel that support and workforce tools that you need uh, aren't available. One of the benefits of COVID has been that this capacity, massive increase in capacity for virtual assistance, um, and that has really taken off by comparison with where it was in 2019. No location, no business is really too far from anything uh, that it needs anymore. And I guess the key message that I'll close with today, looking to the future, is that I like to think there'll be a time when autism employment programs and, and panels like the one that we're on here today are a bit of a thing of the past, because I'd like to think that we can mainstream inclusive employment and make it an organisational normal that our, our employee base will, will more and more start to reflect the communities that we live in and that autistic people will have opportunities available across, uh, to them across the full range of, of career and employment alternatives. Thank you. Thank you, Kirsty. Um, Laura, do you want to um, kick off and give us a little bit of overview of your uh, program? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Michael. And um, really amazing to hear from you, Kirsty, as well. So thank you for everything that you just shared. Um, hi, everyone. I am Laura Grant. I use pronouns she and her. <clears throat> I seem to have a bit of a raspy voice today, unfortunately. Um, I have ADHD, so my number one challenge for this session is not to um, talk for too long or to get too distracted. Um, throughout the session. So I work at EY, uh, which is a global professional services organisation, uh, and I lead our diversity, equity and inclusiveness, talent, attraction and acquisition team. Uh, I also lead our neurodiversity strategy currently and a number of key projects that are related to our uh, accessibility and inclusion plan. Uh, so globally, EY has um, been actively involved in neurodiversity hiring initiatives since 2016 with the launch of uh, what was the first neurodiverse centre of excellence. Uh, but here, um, closer to home, uh, EY Australia, uh, we really commenced our journey in early 2021 uh, with the launch of our pilot autism employment program switched on. Uh, and that was an incredible opportunity for us to partner with the University of Sydney's Brain and Mind Centre on some uh, first of its kind Australian research into the impact of supported workplace programs for uh, autistic adults. So uh, we had 12 participants that joined us across three different intakes for a period of 12 weeks each. Uh, we had multiple uh, support mechanisms in place uh, and a real focus on uh, supporting mental health uh, as well. Uh, and of course, making uh, workplace adjustments for those that needed it. Uh, and we wrapped up that program uh, early last year and then spent quite a bit of time uh, really unpacking uh, all of the data and everything that we learned uh, through that experience. And it um, was an incredible opportunity for us to uh, really understand what some of the gaps are that we need to address as an organisation to 
uh, provide um, what we now uh, refer to as neurodivergent nirvana. So that's our desired uh, end state where um, every aspect of the employee experience is equitable and empowering. And so we're really now on this journey of uh, trying to, uh, to bring that to fruition. And we know that we've still got a lot of work to do and a long way to go, but uh, I'm so immensely proud of uh, a number of the different things that we have done uh, over the last couple of years. So uh, off the back of our Switched On program, we launched Neurodiversity November for the first time uh, in November 2021. Uh, and that was an internal campaign dedicated to raising awareness of autism, uh, having meaningful conversations about autism in the workplace uh, and opportunities to really build capability uh, amongst our people. Uh, and we went bigger and better in November 2022. Um, we took this globally across the EY family. Um, we deployed seven training sessions with Untapped. Uh, we released three toolkits uh, for our people to leverage. We launched a neurodiversity SharePoint site, which has lots of resources, uh, video interview recordings uh, with people uh, from EY who identify as neurodivergent and who have shared uh, their stories, as well as uh, articles that have been written by uh, neurodivergent EY people. In August last year, we launched our ND Community Connect group, uh, which is part of our ability network, uh, our employee resource group for people with disability uh, or people who are allies or parents um, or carers of people with disability. Uh, and that group has been uh, an amazing opportunity for us to uh, focus on how we foster connection and belonging for neurodivergent EY people. Uh, and that has, in the last uh, seven months since we launched the group, grown to uh, over 100 uh, members, which is really exciting to see. We're currently working on our first neurodiversity strategy to shape our focus over the next uh, few years. Uh, and while we've already commenced a lot of the work in building neuro-inclusive capability across our organisation, we do uh, want and need to shift the focus towards removing uh, systemic and structural barriers to inclusion. Uh, and the last thing that I wanted to, to touch on and share with you all is our upcoming launch of our Autism Workplace Champions Initiative. Uh, and this is an initiative that uh, the wonderful people at Untapped have supported us with again. Uh, so we're launching this ahead of uh, Autism Acceptance Month in April. We have a group of 20 people across EY, uh, including autistic individuals uh, and some parents and carers uh, of autistic individuals who have all received some training from the Untapped group. Uh, and their role is to really help us at EY embed uh, autism acceptance uh, and to create safe uh, environments. And so they will help us uh, to really amplify uh, the work that the DEI team and the Ability Network are doing across EY um, in championing autistic inclusion. 
uh, but they'll also provide uh, a safe space for uh, autistic EY people uh, to go to for conversations, uh, as well as non-autistic people. Um, and uh, we're really excited uh, for the launch of that and to continue uh, on our journey. Back to you. Thanks, Michael. Thank you very much, Laura. Um, that was great. Um, Vanessa, do you want to give us a, a bit of an overview and introduce yourself as well? That'd be fantastic. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks, Michael. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me here today. Um, I'm probably coming from a slightly different angle. Um, I, am, I work at NAB. I'm the head of technology for fraud. And I'm here to talk about neurodiversity at NAB as a participant in the program and an advocate for the program. So um, I'm a people leader who has autistic interns um, in, my, in my team. Uh, to give you a little bit of an overview, uh, the first um, initial partnership with Untapped and DXC was established in 2019 uh, by a very passionate people leader in our security area. And um, she brought on the first intake of interns Based on the success of that, she then decided to expand across the technology area at NAB, and that's when me and my team got involved. I was really excited by the program. Um, like many of you, I have uh, friends with neurodiverse children. I have friends who are neurodiverse. So I was really excited to see this inclusion and diversity program at NAB. We firstly took in my team, took on two interns, and I'm happy to say that one of them converted to a permanent employee with us and is still with us today and a very valuable member of our team. And the other one actually moved to a different role at NAB, uh, which is great for them. Wasn't so good for us because we would have liked to have kept them as well. At the same time that we took on our first lot of interns, I also joined our oversight committee working group, which was a combination of our accessibility team, our people and culture team, uh, advocate, people leaders like myself and neurodiverse employees. And our objectives were to make sure that the program was a success, to expand the program where we could, and to embed the program in our mainstream recruitment and people processes. And I'm really pleased to say that uh, one of our mainstream re uh, recruitment intern processes is now through Untapped. Uh, for the technology team and we have twice yearly intakes. So we've, we've made some progress when we're not finished, but we've made a really important step. At the moment at NAB, we have around 20 interns across the organization. And I'm also pleased to say that we've expanded beyond technology into our operations teams. And uh, that is going really, really well. Further to that, NAB, uh, along with the awareness training that you get with each uh, group of interns, which is across the entire team where the interns will be placed, NAB also engaged Untapped for um, some further training in supporting a neurodiverse workforce in mental health and wellbeing. And whilst this was mainly aimed at providing a supportive environment for employees with autism, it um, through identifying mental ill health and um, strategies to support uh, mental well-being, uh, that was has been a really important uh, lesson for all of our people leaders who part partook in that training, and it's helped them to support not only their neurodiverse team members but their colleagues and themselves. 
So I would strongly recommend to any organisation out there and any people leader um, to engage in a program such as the one that we have at NAB and Neurodiversity NAB and with Untapped because you get some seriously skilled people who would otherwise be excluded from the workforce. Thanks. Thanks, Vanessa. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And, and thank you for all for being um, uh, sharing your stories and sharing some of the, um, the learnings. Um, so I'm now going to go to some of the questions. So we've got a few questions. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Laura. So we've got a, um, a question here, giving a, just some examples of workplace adjustments that may be, be needed or um, considered for um, with your autistic employees and trainees. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Michael. So um, for us, that has ranged from work arrangements, so uh, the need for flexible or uh, part-time hours through to assistive technology. Uh, and we have uh, a whole assistive technology platform at EY and also an IT disability support service um, as part of our organisation. Uh, through to uh, having an assigned desk. So uh, EY is actually a hot desking environment, uh, but we can absolutely provide um, a fixed desk uh, in a location uh, that uh, suits uh, the individual. Um, but additionally, we're a hybrid workforce. So uh, even prior to the pandemic, um, our people had a lot of flexibility to work from home and that has really only increased. And I think that's really benefited uh, autistic and other neurodivergent uh, people at EY. So uh, I have a, um, a colleague, for example, who works from home 99% um, of the time, and that's absolutely fine. Um, and then equipment such as noise cancelling headphones um, can also be uh, what is sort of a minor tweak can actually have a really um, huge uh, benefit uh, to, to the individuals. So there's lots of different things that we can do. And it's always about recognising um, what the individual needs. And there's no one size fits all approach to that. Thanks, Laura, for that. Um, yeah. Well, I got my next question, uh, which is for Kirsty. Um, so um, this is kind of a, a kind of a double-barreled one. There's quite a few questions underneath it, so you'll have to be a bit patient with me. I'll ask the first one, and then there's probably another one after this. So um, the first one is: How do you actually select? Uh, what's the selection is um, process for into autistic um, employees? If you can give a bit of detail behind that. Uh, Radio. So um, if we start right at the beginning. Um, we use a very grassroots approach. So for those of you that watched um, Tom's presentation earlier, it's about identifying in our communities um, advocates and um, supporters of autistic, uh, potential autistic employees. So it's looking at the, the schools, the disability employment services providers, um, just connecting out there with our communities because often uh, our potential employees aren't aware that we exist and they they would struggle to to follow through to employment through uh, your traditional pathways so um it's sometimes a case of us trying to find employees in our communities rather than them finding us um, we then go through a process of um firstly we ask employees to uh, not not give us a resume, uh, we don't do interviews, but we ask them to just uh, write a letter or provide pictures. A lot of them will just do caption pictures on why they think uh, working with animals might be good for them and what they think they might bring to an animal-based environment. And they can be really lovely and they're very insightful to the individual. You learn so much more about 
an individual when they're telling you about themselves and what they like. Um, and then we bring them along to what we call a virtual piggery, which is where we, in a, an environment that most people are familiar with, so sort of classroom style in one of our nearby towns, we set up a mock piggery. Um, and that allows people to try on our clothing. It allows them to go through basic work health and safety discussions. Uh, we allow, we have little oranges that we set up so people can try uh, vaccinating oranges. And it's just about really taking the processes that people might be uh, undertaking in our workplace and presenting them in a safe environment. And people can bring their support people along to that process. Uh, the whole process for us is around providing opportunities for people that would like to continue. So we never, we never weed people out so long as an individual is prepared to keep going through the process, we're, keep, we're prepared to keep supporting them. So the next step then is to do a short tour of a farm site. Again, this is about talking to sensitivities, reducing anxiety and presenting our work environment in a, in a safe way. That's just a two to three hour tour. And if people are still interested, uh, we then run them through a two week training process. The whole process is paid and we focus on core tasks that anyone would need to be able to do in a farm animal environment. So it's around things like moving animals. It's about recognizing the farming environment. It's about understanding how to feed and water animals and whatnot. Um, and if people are still keen at the end of the two weeks, by then we have a good idea of their capability in the workplace uh, and they have a good understanding of what they're interested in. And we work to a process where we identify a mentor or a support person in our workplace and a role that they could fill. Um, and then we move through an induction process um, where we have adjusted all of the workplace paperwork. So our contracts are written in plain English. So you don't need uh, to sit there trying to decipher what a contract says. Um, we support people if they need to find housing in local environments because often they don't have any a rental tenancy history and without having a job it's very difficult to get a rental so we'll go through that process with them and then they start work and it's it's onwards from there and it's just a continuous support process because the individual evolves in the workplace their work evolves and it's just identifying step by step what their needs are so I hope that sort of answers your question Michael. Uh, absolutely and I think um, just to just to add on the same kind of train of thought is just really about uh, vacancies you know you might and this is about career progression as well as you've had a, a program for a while now is just talk about how that vacancies work and and how does somebody progress through you know into maybe maybe we might be just laterally or could be you know or, or vertically yeah so we're look I do recognize we're in a, a unique position as a business perhaps less so in the last you know more recently but certainly historically we almost always have vacancies in our business. So for us, we really can drive the people rather than positions because we will almost always have roles available. Um, so to that end, if we have an individual that would like to work for us, we, we will find a role for them. In terms of um, transition, we offer training in the workplace. We run a registered training organisation so people can do up to diploma level studies that are supported by our training team. Uh, there's opportunities to move between roles. So uh, if they've been working with baby piglets, for example, but they'd like to go and work uh, with the growing animals, they can, they can transition within the business. We've also had people who have moved between sites, so moved from Queensland to Victoria, from Victoria to Queensland. Um, and then there's opportunities to move up um, through the business. 
We have one individual who works in the maintenance team, so they don't actually work hands-on with livestock. There were some sensitivities there. So we really, really wanted this person to stay in our workforce and we found them a role where they're working in the maintenance team and have undertaken an apprenticeship with our business. So we're quite prepared to support individuals to follow both their um, workforce desires, so their career desires, but also their um, outside work um, desires. So if they do want to work elsewhere in Australia or try something different, we're happy to, to work with them on that as well. Fantastic. Um, just a um, thanks, thanks, Christy, for that. Um, Vanessa, um, just um, what's just a question for you. What um, has um, what's been the unexpected impact of the program on your team and maybe your people managers as well? So you know, hopefully, hopefully you can give a little bit of insight into that. Thanks. Yeah, Kirsty actually touched on it earlier, um, but uh, I think what Untapped and Neurodiversity at NAB do really well in terms of diversity inclusion is the inclusion piece. So it's all very well um, to have your neurodiverse interns, but making sure that they're included and supported um, is really, really important. Um, and that's what we achieve through this program, through training, through workplace adjustments, et cetera. And um, I think because we have the entire team trained as well and the people leaders in autism awareness, um, it makes a real difference. And I actually had a people leader who was new to the role and had one of the interns in their team and they said to me, having, having them in my team has helped me become a better people leader because I've been explicitly taught to recognise difference, um, to accommodate difference, and even within his team, um, the interactions with each other changed and engagement went up, skills went up and the whole team benefited. And uh, it was just, um, for me, an unexpected benefit uh, from having neurodiverse team members and one that I, I think is, is a lesson that you can't get or learnings or development that you can't get other ways or as quickly. So, yeah, it was a very pleasant, pleasant um, outcome for us. Thanks. Thanks for that, Vanessa. Um, got another question. Um, no, not for yourself, Vanessa, but um, for Laura. Um, just um, can you talk us a little back uh, about um, your ERG and how does that kind of work, the Employee Resource Group? Um, they, um, so the question really about what kind of the what kind of functions do that provide and what kind of support does your ERG provide? Thanks, Laura. Yeah, so the broader ERG is our ability network. And so uh, they play a role in helping to foster connection and belonging uh, for our people, uh, but also to raise awareness uh, and to help advocate for uh, change that benefits uh, everybody. Um, we have two amazing uh, co-chairs of our ability uh, network who uh, have built up a, a phenomenal reputation for their level of care and the work that they uh, do for our people. Uh, that we run a lot of uh, campaigns, um, deliver training, uh, host a number of different events. Uh, we do September uh, every year. Um, we sponsor the Focus on Ability Film Festival. Uh, we celebrate different days, weeks, months of significance um, across the organisation, and they're really instrumental in, uh, you know, in that 
uh, activity, but also just being there um, for, for employees that are looking for, um, you know, a, an empathetic understanding uh conversation or, or someone to listen. Uh, so members of our ability network uh, do a, a phenomenal uh, job in providing uh, that additional uh, experience, um, you know, to our people. And then our neurodiversity community group um, is really about that connection piece. So uh, we have a Teams chat where we share um, articles with each other. We have discussions about topics. We share um, passion projects and special interests. We have a monthly uh, call where anyone in the community can drop in and it's a really informal opportunity to uh, build relationships, to connect, to share different uh, experiences. Uh, and I think that that's been just a really amazing uh, thing to see. Uh, I think also just the confidence that people are gaining in terms of how they uh, self-identify and talk about being neurodivergent and open up about their experiences uh, in the workplace. So I think that's been a really phenomenal uh, benefit of having that specific uh, community group underneath the umbrella of our um, ability network. But um, I really encourage uh, anyone who, who works at an organisation that has an ERG to, uh, to really lean into that, even if it's because you're an ally um, rather than a person with lived experience. Uh, you know, allies are also so important uh, to, to what we do in terms of striving for equity um, and belonging and inclusion. So I think, you know, really leaning into those opportunities to, um, to connect and learn um, as much as possible. Yes, yeah, thanks, thanks, Laura, for that. Um, so I've got another question for you, Kirsty. Um, um, just really about we were talking about the recruitment process and um, how do you manage people that are you know, maybe deemed to be unsuitable? Um, how do you kind of then work with them and um, how does that process work? That's a really interesting one. And um, Tom touched on some of this earlier. Um, it can be doubly challenging because often the employee themselves or the potential employee, sorry, is, is desperately trying to make it work um, because they may feel that, you know, they, they want to have a job so that their family doesn't have to worry about them and so they can be independent and whatnot. So you need to be very considerate not only of the job piece itself but of the individual and all of these consequential um, considerations. So we approach it from the position that you have tried something, you have achieved something, you have gained a skill set. Um, we provide references. Um, we have a chat with both them and their families about um, areas they may be interested in because invariably we find, and I can't remember who mentioned it earlier, whether it might have been in Tom's presentation, that most of the time they're perfectly capable in the workplace, but more often than not we find that they, they just don't enjoy the work. So it's guiding them through a process where it's okay not to like a role, um, but you can take all the learnings from that role. And we found in most cases that having been through that process of starting a job and having had a job, they then invariably within three to six months have found another role. So it's that, I think Laura mentioned, it's, it's building that confidence. It's knowing that they can do a job. It's just finding the right job 
Um, and I don't know if that's answered your question, Michael, but most cases what we find is that it's not, it's not about the workplace or the work, it's that the individual actually identifies that the job is not for them. So it's supporting them to, to realise that that's okay and that's part of learning and progression and it's about, well, what's my next step? And we work very closely with them and with their families um, to guide them into that next step. Yeah, it's very important that you know, helping them with the self-determination and, and then the self-advocacy to actually determine, you know, where, you know, is the role, even in the industry, is, is the industry right for them as well? So it's like um, everyone's, no. uh, you know. It's exactly uh, that. Yeah, it's like, all, you know, as we've had that program for nearly, almost going to be up nearly a decade next year, is not everyone's going to be into IT roles. You know? um, it's just not, where, yeah. If I could just add, Mark, I'm just thinking of, one recent situation, we encourage our employees to be very open with the team. So if they are looking at alternative recruitment, we encourage them to be open with their managers. If they're going off for other interviews, we encourage them to be open about that. We'll support them. We'll make sure that they, you know, if there's anything they need to know about a type of business, we'll try and research that with them if they need a reference. It's about perhaps being a little bit more transparent in that job transition process than, than you might normally see with other employees. Oh, absolutely. And I do like the, what you were mentioning about um, finding the motivation behind the employee as well, though, I think, as writing that, that little story um, about um, we all kind of have to be, if we all know motivation is a big uh, part of being engaged and being present at work. So it's being, it's a, that's a key thing. So bringing, be able to bring yourself to work and, and, the, and your motivation to that job or, or that role. Thanks. Thanks, Kirsty, for that. Um, um, I've got a question for you, Vanessa. Um, this is really about you know, looking about how you, you know, just probably gazing a bit forward, how you see your neurodiversity program maybe expanding and how does that kind of, um, how do you see its role in, in that? Gosh, ultimately, I would hope that one day we won't have a neurodiversity program at NAB, um, that it will just be stock standard to um, and we would have recruitment processes that would include uh, neurodiverse candidates. Um, in terms of expansion, um, I think the more people um, that understand the benefits of participation in the program, um, the more we would we would expand. Um, so I would be hoping that we um, so we have it for our technology interns it would be good to include it in uh, as an intern pipeline in other areas of, of the bank as well um, going forward and just to create more pipelines and more opportunities because there's lots of different skill sets. It's not just technology like my team. Um, and there's lots of different roles at NAB that, that could be suitable um, for a neurodiverse candidate. On mute, talking. One of the uh, another question for you, Vanessa, was really if um, people were interested in, in working uh, for NAB or kind of um, looking at uh, NAB as their pension employee, what what's the best way of going about doing that? You know. So um, yeah, the intern um, program is on our internet site and also via um, our partner um, Untapped. So contact you can contact through either channel. If, if people are interested. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Vanessa. Um, Laura, just um, just got a question here really about um, some of the supports you maybe put around your intern program um, and how was that kind of structured? Um, so that was a, um, a question. 
yeah, sure. So uh, because we were working with uh, the Brain and Mind Centre um, at the University of Sydney, uh, our interns actually had access to uh, qualified um, specialist psychologists um, throughout their uh, internship at EY, which might not be a regular occurrence uh, for uh, an, employ an employment program, um, but uh, it was a, a really, I think, important um, component of what we were doing. Uh, we do, of course, have our own EAP uh, service as well, employee assistance uh, program in which uh, there is access to a range of wellbeing uh, initiatives and uh, some uh, mental health uh, supports through that avenue as well. Um, our interns had uh, a career counsellor uh, and a buddy assigned to them uh, in addition to uh, their line manager. Uh, and uh, those people received some really in-depth training uh, from the team at the Brain and Mind Centre to really set them up for success. Uh, there was uh, there were weekly um, check-ins with the Brain and Mind Centre team as well as with their counsellor and their buddy and then uh, myself and the other co-lead from the DE&I team. So there were a lot of uh, opportunities to check in and understand what's going well, what's not going well, what can we do to, to better support you and, and ensure that you're having uh, a great experience at EY and being able to, um, you know, take feedback uh, on in real time and, and implement that and make changes and adapt, um, you know, throughout the, the program um, was, was really key as well. Um, our counsellors and our buddies uh, also actually received a lot of ongoing support throughout the program because this was the first time that, uh, you know, they were engaging in uh, an, an employment program like this. And so we felt that it was really important that they were set up for success as well. So uh, they also had the opportunity for uh, weekly check-ins uh, with the Brain and Mind Centre team um, and with myself and my colleague uh, from the DE&I team to talk about, um, you know, how are things going? Uh, what do you feel like you're not doing a good job of and how do we support you um, to, to be a better leader, um, you know, to, to these interns so that they have uh, a really great experience with EY. We also uh, set up an accessibility squad, uh, which was made up of some members of our ability network um, who connected in with our interns and provided them with that uh, sort of additional safe space um, to have, you know, that, that connection and that greater sense of belonging as well. Um, so those are just some of the uh, examples, but I think, you know, really, um, I think going the extra mile to provide the wraparound supports and structures uh, really does help get the best out of everybody and it helps everyone to feel um, that also it's okay to make mistakes. So I think for us, you know, it was really important for our leaders to feel that it was safe for them to not know everything and it was safe for them to, um, you know, be kind of just diving into this um, knowing that they weren't, you know, experts and that they might, uh, you know, say the wrong thing or not communicate as effectively as they could with their intern at one point in time or another. So I think just being able to set everyone up for, um, you know, 
success meant uh, building that trust, fostering that level of psychological safety um, and trust with everybody. Uh, and I think that that really had um, a great impact. Yeah, thanks for that, Laura. I think it's a, it really is important to, you know, as we've kind of found out that, you know, what kind of support you want to put into depends on a lot about, you know, the people you're bringing in and also the outcome you want to achieve as well. So that's kind of been one of our biggest learnings, but that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's fantastic. Um, um, it's really good insights and um, hopefully some, you know, some people listening, watching this call could take some of those and kind of um, uh, in, you know, implement it within their kind of either, either programs they've got or, um, you know, when they're thinking about starting a program, they can um, you know, start to take some of those learnings. In, in that same kind of question, um, you know, all that um, is that, you know, Kirsty, what do you think, you, you know, you, if you had your time again, you would have liked to have actually known? Um, so this is this kind of part where you know we've kind of shared a bit of things on the on the call, and um, you know we all you know, wish we you know could go back in time. Um, um, what would you? What would things would be some of the points you maybe maybe leave uh, um, organisations and uh, prospective um, employers to um, you know think about? Oh, if we had a TARDIS, Michael. Hey. <laughs> yes, no, I was thinking about a TARDIS. <laughs> I'm just. Uh... Um. I think one of the key learnings for us has been um, how little successful employment outcomes for autistic people are about autism. So it's it's not about the individual. It's not about autism. It's a lot of it's around workplace culture. And it's that sort of top-down, bottom-up commitment to inclusion that Laura's just described, you know, that you can achieve in so many different ways. Um, and it's about providing the necessary resourcing to support it. So it can't just be a, a notional sort of uh, commitment to inclusion, inclusion. You actually need to have the systems and that wraparound support in place um, for it. So I guess it's about how much of it is around preparing the workplace and having a workplace that's set up for all different types of people rather than it is around modifying or adjusting or changing how individual job seekers behave. Um, and I guess moving on from that to something Vanessa commented on, it's around how much it is about being considerate of individual people, um, looking at each person and thinking about what, what do they need to succeed in your workplace rather than being so focused on the process that you lose sight of the people. Um, from our perspective, it's certainly made us take a really good look at how we do things. Um, so both within the workplace I don't know, it's it's like we think sometimes that, that work instructions will just diffuse into people because when you go looking for a work instruction, often you can't find it. It's like, well, how did you learn it? Well, I just taught George, who taught Harry, who taught Henry. Okay, well, let's make sure we've got clear instruction here so that the next person and the next person and the next person after that can learn how to do it properly. How can we demystify uh, contracts? How can we make work instructions more accessible? Can we do them as videos, for example? what is a tax file number declaration form and why does it have to be so long and complicated and can we actually sit with individuals that find that tricky uh, and do that with them what can we do and michael i know you you guys have a lot of experience in this place around performance reviews how do you best provide feedback in order to bring out the best in an employee um, so it's it's really back to the previous question with Laura, um, how do you provide that wraparound support and have that, as I said, top-down, bottom-up um, commitment to inclusion? Because if you've got that, 
then the employee is just, they're just themselves. So it's, it's very much not about it, the employee, it's largely about the employer. Yeah, thanks, Kirsty. I think one of our kind of key learnings, almost looking back in time, being the TARDIS is actually talking to other employers. I think there's really a big difference between uh, in, as being an employer to, you know, to you know, working with the community, working to service providers, being an employer has its own persona and, you know, has a whole, its own challenges. And I think that by talking to other employers, you can under, get to understand those, some of those challenges and things, things, learnings. So we would have liked to have been, you know, as we're around other employers. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of us have reached out and created informal groups to just to learn from each other, which I think is important. So um, we all have a, all our own challenges as, as employers, you know, from if you're, if you're running a, obviously a, a, a agriculture, agricultural business to running a services business to being a bank, you know, we all have our own challenges, even small businesses, like um, listening to Tom, which I think is important that we all kind of, you know, like these forums here are quite important to kind of share knowledge and allow networks to be built as well. Um, just a, an, another um, question of, um, for you, Laura, is really about, um, just really the, you know, organisations typically look at entry level roles, you know, as, you know, where to start with uh, disability inclusion and, you know, really talk through about how, you know, how organisations now looking at maybe, you know, other more experienced roles within the organisation. So, and what that, what are some of the challenges or some of the, um, you know, strategies maybe that um, EY is deploying? Uh, yeah, thanks, Michael. So, uh, when we ran our Switched On uh, program, we actually had a whole range of program participants from high school leavers through to experienced hire uh, candidates come through that internship program. So we got to experience a whole kind of gamut of, you know, levels of experience in the workforce, um, which was really eye-opening in terms of the different, you know, needs and uh experiences of those individuals as well but I think for us at EY uh, diversity equity and inclusiveness is very much a part of the fabric of our organization we talk a lot about uh, uplifting social equity so really actively taking a stance on how we can remove uh, systemic barriers to inclusion for underrepresented and marginalized groups so the more that we can do this internally, uh, the more that this will help us to attract uh, diverse talent to EY. Uh, and, you know, the more that uh, we build our culture um, of belonging and inclusion, uh, the more that people feel safe to be their authentic selves uh, and to to, to really show who they are at work, including our leaders. And I think that that's something uh, we're really keen to see uh, continue is to have uh, senior people uh, be able to step into those role model, uh, you know, opportunities and to really show uh, more junior um, employees uh, what's possible in a place like EY and what you can aspire for and how you can navigate that and how, you know, there are supports uh, in place um, for you to get where you want to go. Uh, so I think for us, uh, you know, it, it, it's really about uh, tackling um, 
uh, I think both elements. It's the it's the structural and systemic um, inclusion and removing barriers for people, but it's also building that culture of uh, belonging and inclusiveness. And when we can do both of those things, I think we will see more and more um, senior role models really leaning into um, you know being able to um, speak up and and uh, advocate um, for people with disability as well. And that will really help us to attract um, you know people of all ranks, all levels, all backgrounds, all experiences uh, into EY and, and for us to really harness those um, diverse perspectives and strengths and experiences. Well, thanks very much, Laura. That's really appreciative. Um, one last final question for you, Vanessa, so it's just um, is how important is an executive sponsor um, in starting a program? Um, I think that's a loaded question. Absolutely. Um, it, it, is, um, it is vital uh, to have an executive sponsor to start the program. Um, having lots of allies um, as well uh, to petition said, said executive sponsor um, also uh, is, is imperative to starting a program. So um, it started, it was grassroots um, at NAB, but had an executive sponsor and a very passionate people leader and that's how it started and it's grown and expanded and embedded so yeah well thank you very much and i do it now again um, thank you all for um, participating in the you know this employer panel and um, again um, please for people who are actually watching please reach out and connect there's obviously a lot of knowledge on the call um, you know as we said we're very happy to share um, all of us you know come from very different um, industries and backgrounds um, so that's you know and please please reach out um we'll, ryan um we'll we'll hand over to you and again thank you all for um listening to it and being a participant in the um in our session fantastic thanks laura vanessa kirsty michael we appreciate your time guys thank you uh we i apologize to the autistic people watching we didn't have a trigger warning they did mention the word performance review so i do apologize um Let's be honest, performance review, the NAPLAN test of the employment world. How useful a standardized test for autistic people. Well done, guys. Good work. Um, but, you know, the, the Senate report released uh, just last year, uh, done in modern day Australia, autistic people eight times more likely to be unemployed, you know, than any other uh, peer. So, wow, a lot of work to be done, my friends. That's why we're here to do the best we can to uh, to push through and to uh, to get some, uh, some great uh, work and insights into employment for autistic people now with the short break coming up you'll obviously have a chance to um, you know get a break grab a, grab a coffee a snack um, conduct a performance review uh, come up with a standardized test for people that are different our next session in the main program will focus on the experience of employees in the workplace and so i will see you then the 2023 Autism at Work Virtual Summit was proudly sponsored by DXC Technologies, GHD Engineering, La Trobe University, Untapped Group, ANZ, and SAP. Autism CRC is the independent national source of evidence for best practice. For more information on Autism CRC or the Autism at Work Virtual Summit, head to our website, autismcrc.com.au.